Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome, listeners, to the Camera Podcast Pubs, Pints, People, where we chat about everything to do with beer, cider, pubs, and much, much more. My name is Ant Fiorillo. Hello there. And I'm joined, as always, by Katie Wiles. And new to this week, Stella Sims is in the house. <laughs> Stella's stepping in for Matt today while he heads up to Cumbria to visit his family and have a few deserved beers. Hello, both of you, and welcome to Stella. Hello. <laughs> so Stella's been involved in the podcast for a while now. She conducted the interview with a hand in hand based in Brighton for our pubs and lockdown episode and she had the chance to speak with Melissa Cole who we're going to be hearing later on this episode it's great to have you join us this week Stella it's really great to be here I've been a camera member for a few years now and I probably have my dad to thank for my love of pubs which began from a very early age drinking blackcurrant lemonade in various <laughs> pubs in Hampshire where I grew up um, he's always been an ale drinker and as I've got older I've come to appreciate the beauty of it too it's great to have you. And remember, listeners, we've said this before, we said it last week, we're always looking for more volunteers to get involved in the programme. So if you think you might like to help as a scriptwriter, an archivist, a correspondent, you know, as much or as little time as you can give, just get in touch with us. It's dead easy. Podcast at camera.org.uk. And don't forget to follow us on our new Twitter handle, Pubs Pints People. We're very happy to welcome Sean O'Mahony, who has joined the podcasting team to support with a social media feed. And the most important question that we need to ask this week is, have either of you been to the pub yet? (laughs) I haven't just yet. Some in Brighton have opened, I think, last week, but quite a few have actually chosen to delay Mm. and kind of see how it goes. And It seems to be like still a really huge challenge, especially for smaller pubs. I think those with large pub gardens seem to be doing the best, really. Mm. I mean, where possible, I've been trying to support some local places in Brighton that have been doing takeaway draft beer. All in good time, isn't it? It was never all going to just go back to normal last Saturday, was it? I've not actually made it down just yet, but I'm hoping to, you know, get to the pub when I go on holiday next week. Oh, (laughs) she had to get that one in, didn't she, cheeky? About time. (laughs) (laughs) Vicky, do you get holidays at Cameron? Does that happen? (laughs) So, uh, do you know what was really interesting? Uh, I I followed the news last Saturday. I follow the news anyway. There's not much else.
else to do while we've been coming out of this lockdown. But wasn't it just a shame that some of those pubs had to close just a few days after opening? Um, yeah. Because people went in and they had COVID, which is such a shame. And, and of course, then anyone who's been in contact with them, there's the deep clean. I mean, let's face it, it's an incredibly difficult thing, this. If you're not able to get down to your local in person, um, but you want to support the pubs, just make sure to per- continue purchasing your beers and ciders directly from them or use that Brew to You app because, you know, pubs are going to just need all the help they can get both in person and just financially through throughout this lockdown in this transition period. Definitely. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about beer and food, both in terms of pairings and actually cooking with beer. I had the pleasure of sitting down with beer sommelier, Melissa Cole, who was just so interesting. We actually ended up chatting for nearly an hour. So my apologies to the hardworking editors of this program. (laughs) Uh, But we just could have spoken all day, I think. She's such a great person to talk to. And we're also going to be sitting down with Runaway Brewery, which is based in Manchester. Manchester, my hometown. (laughs) Uh, And they do make some really interesting and unique beers to accompany dishes for restaurants right across the city. I love listening to that. Some of their beers that they talk about sound absolutely insane. Like their tomato beer to accompany a white pizza. I mean, ah! <laughs> I don't know what I think I, of that. <laughs> I really love pizza, so I would definitely try that. It sounds like it could be really I mean, interesting. I mean, who knows? Perhaps the social distancing measure we're now following in pubs might even be an opportunity for licensees to look at how they can up their beer and food matching. Because, you know, table service is mandatory at the moment and it may be something that they want to continue. Mm. Um, so you may as well make the trip worthwhile and take some food along with the beer. Well, for any of the pubs thinking of taking that plunge into beer and food pairings or cooking with beer, tune into our next interview with Melissa Cole, Beer Sommelier, who is also like the author of The Beer Kitchen. So over to Stella for her interview with Melissa. Learn and discover. I just wondered if you could give a little introduction really to yourself obviously you write about beer and you've created this job title sommelier I'm Melissa Cole I'm a beer and food writer and the sommelier thing was one of those jokes if um for people who read Pratchett you'll know that there's a lot of jokes in there where it said yeah don't worry it'll look funnier when it's written down in dialogue thing it was also just to make the point that because I'd been doing a lot of beer and food pairing that actually it was a very valid thing because I was running up against a lot of wild snobbery in the wine world about beer so it was it was a little poke at wine people as well I'm a journalist. That's my background. It's what I still consider myself first and foremost. I was invited to judge some beer competitions, as you are, and I was getting a lot of good feedback and it seemed that when I was picking beers, they were going on to win medals quite a lot and ones that I was going into bat for were doing well. And I was lucky enough to be taken under the wings of, of some very senior brewers. But I also experienced a lot of misogyny at the judging table as well. And there was one particular unpleasant table at a judging where I was sure I'd identified rhubarb as a flavour. And there was lots of, oh, <laughs> rhubarb in a beer, don't be ridiculous, blah, 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 blah. Uh, bearing in mind, this was a long time ago. And it was these three guys thinking they were funny as hell, and they weren't. They were just being awful. So I was pretty ticked off by the end of the day, but also feeling very unsure of myself. Anyway, the organiser very kindly went and found out what the beer was, because obviously it hadn't advanced, because these guys were convinced it was actually it was a brewing fault, and it was just, you know, oh, these are phenols and esters, and saying words I just didn't understand at the time and it turns out that yes in fact it was a rhubarb beer so I went off down the pub and walked up to them and said basically said 
some slightly rude words um, and, and said actually it was a rhubarb beer and then they, they said oh no no the organisers got it wrong because that beer isn't brewed anymore unfortunately the brewer was standing right next to me handing me a pint at this point and he said sorry did you just say you disqualified the rhubarb beer so yeah I said yeah I've just started rebrewing that and then he was really angry with them so and I thought you know what sod you sod you I felt like it's misogyny all day I felt like you've been mocking me because I'm a woman all day and, and do you know what I'm right you've shown your true colours and then I suddenly realised I looked around the room and there were about three women in that pub after that judging and there must have been 40 men and I thought that I don't know any women who dedicatedly professionally write about beer I love beer, and I want more women to love beer, and I want to get into beer. So basically, by them spending the days being misogynist bullies, I'm afraid they've now got to put up with me. Obviously, you've got a very precise palette, I would say, judging by that experience. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. I mean, I judge beer competitions all over the world, but it doesn't come easily. And it's one of the reasons why I started doing collaboration brews is because I wanted to be able to feed back to brewers what I thought was wrong and where it might have gone wrong in the process. And finding out why you do certain things in brewing allows you to then understand why there, there can be problems at the end of it. And also reading up in a lot of sensory science, getting myself fully range tested for what I can and can't pick up. I can pick up everything, but I've got a slightly higher threshold for some sulfurs. So that's, you know, that's something I'm very aware of. If somebody's very, oh, this is really horribly sulfur, so I'm just like, okay, I, I, I've got quite a high tolerance for that, so I'll hand that over. But, yeah, it's been a lot of hard work, a huge amount of reading. i probably one of the few people in the world who, when they go on holiday, actually take this quite technical brewing books and beer books and sensory books with them because it's one of the few times I actually get to sit down and concentrate on them. But how long have you been writing about food pairing and cooking with beer? Did it start with your book? Oh, yeah, no, it's been going for a long time. There's a theme to my career. Is that Has something made me angry? Yes, I'll go and do something about it then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was flicking through the pages of a food magazine one day, and there was this great steak and ale pie on the cover. And it looked, you know, just one of those ones where all the shining gravy-covered meat is tumbling out and the puff pastry seems like it's three stories high, and you can almost smell it when you're mm. looking at it. And I was so excited about this. And I opened up the recipe and it said beer. What? It's like a bottle of beer. It's like, is this a bad ventriloquism act? I didn't understand at all how you could just be so non-specific. And then I went and started grabbing all the other magazines and it was all just so uninventive and dull and nobody specified styles. It just infuriated me. And yet every time you were cooking with wine, it was at the very least a dry, fruity white wine or it was a dry, mineral white wine or full-bodied French red or something. There was at least a lexicon there and that was also something that's frustrating me about beer a lot it's hoppy and malty with a bitter finish it's like well no shit Sherlock it's beer <laughs> the world of beer in recent years if you like has, has got so much more complex it can be I guess a confusing world for people if they are facing a recipe where you know it says beer and if you go into the supermarket now there's so many different types I think I mean the number one piece of advice I give to people when they're looking to start cooking with beer is know your beer because the minute you know your beer you can understand where to use it in the process and in what sort of dishes to use it. You think of it as either a stock or a seasoning. So if you've got a very bitter beer, 
then the last thing you want to be doing is cooking that for a very, very long time because all you'll do is you'll lose all the other flavours in the beer that are help balancing out and you'll be left with that bitterness. If people get to know their beer first, then they can know whether it's going to be something that actually is going to work quite well over time. It doesn't just have to be added at the beginning. It can be added halfway through. I quite frequently use sour beers at the end to give dishes a little pop because what acidity does for your palate is it's allowing all the different flavours in the dish to separate out on your palate so that you're better able to distinguish them. It's a similar thing to salt, but, but salt's actually a flavour intensifier, whereas actually acidity helps actually sort of almost like a, an exploding model of flavour. Mm. That's what it does on your palate. All of those things are really helpful to understand that, and I, and I try to sort of walk people through that at the beginning of the book about, you know, how sweetness works, how bitterness works, how your palate works, here's how beer can work within that. Beer is so egalitarian. I get lots and lots of lovely messages from people saying, my mates bought me this, knowing that I love beer. I don't really cook, but I now cooking from your book and I've tried a couple of other recipes as well now as a result. I've had a lot of messages from blokes in their sort of 40s and 50s who never really been in the kitchen. So I've been surprising my wife with this and, and that, that really pleases me because there's a whole new dynamic that they've got and that they can do things and oh, I now make sure that I cook for the special occasions or now we cook together sometimes and that that's really, really pleases me. That makes my heart absolutely sick. So I've been doing tastings at food festivals for, I'd say, probably 10, 12 years now. And I would start off by getting a majority male crowd. And very often they'd have their wives or girlfriends or female friends with them. And they'd frequently walk in with a glass of wine or a cocktail and they'd sit down. And I'd say, I, I can see some of you have obviously come in because you're in a group and I have no problem with that. I would just ask if you would be so kind as to actually just smell and taste the beers. And if you don't like them, you don't like them. That's absolutely fine. But if you could just humour me while you're here, that'd be great. And because I very deliberately don't use very traditional styles of beer, and I do try to get a mix in there. And actually saying to people, particularly with dark beers, asking them to put up their hands if they like coffee or chocolate. And then it's like, put your other hand in the air. So leave your hands up in the air if you like coffee and chocolate. 99% of the, of the 10 puts a hand up. And now put the other hand in the air if you think you don't like dark beer. So about 60 to 70% of them standing there and then sitting there. And you go, right, now we're all going to do jazz hands because it's funny. And then you've got people <laughs> laughing, but you've also put it in their heads that this is something now very fun, as opposed to standing there and saying to people, well, if you don't like dark beer, then you're not really a beer drinker, are you? Which is a phrase that was said to me over and over again. So the whole point is, is that I've always tried to take people on a journey of saying, find what you like. I'd say that I get about 50-50 audience now, or at least a 60-40 audience and I have whole tables of women who now come in without their partners. And it's like, we're here for the beer tasting, Melissa, because we don't want them going off in our ear. And that's the problem is that established beer drinkers, which traditionally have been male, when they say to their wives or their girlfriends or whatever, well, you know, you, you've got to drink cask bitter because you're not a proper beer drinker if you don't like that. Or more to the point is they try to force on them what they like instead of giving them an array of different beers to try and then have their own journey of discovery. And that's all I do. I just want people to go on a journey of discovery. And if I can help guide them on the way, then great. Yeah, it's about creating an open atmosphere, isn't it? Where yeah. 
you know, you, no one's going to get shouted down for not fitting someone else's idea of how you should be doing things. And, you know, that's 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 kind of a life view as, as well. And I think mm. that there's a, the beer industry has a lot of work to do on that. Um, it still has a lot of inherent misogyny. We we have a tremendous diversity problem. You know, branding needs still needs to be sorted out. It needs to be addressed. Attitudes need to be addressed. It's one of the reasons why myself and a bunch of other people put together the Everyone Welcome Initiative, which was designed for pubs and festivals and bars to put up and saying, you know, we will not tolerate intolerance. And there's no ageism, sexism, ableism, homophobia, transphobia accepted in these premises. And I'm still incredibly impressed with the way the cameras really moved on on this and obviously last year with GBBF and the way that it was addressed and the way that the line was drawn in the sand even though obviously it has been policy for quite some time but enough is enough it's not going to keep on sneaking under the radar it's not going to be accepted it's not okay pack it in it was a really really clear message I wondered if you had any really good quick principles for cooking with beer like any easy but maybe unexpected combinations or simple rules of thumb a simple rules of thumb is don't cook with it for a long time if it's very bitter in fact to be honest if it's a really bitter beer it's generally not really worth even thinking about putting in a dish I would say never deglaze with beer don't cook with commercial beers. They tend to use something called Tetra Hop, which is very stable, pure hop bitterness. And that's pretty much got a half-life of a nuclear reactor. <laughs> and it, it, it just, you know, you don't really want that to linger on the back of your palate. Think about the beers. When you taste them, think about them as an ingredient. Don't think about it as, like, do I like this beer? It's about, do I think that there's a beer-shaped hole in this dish? Learn and discover. What a great interview, Stella. I mean, I love Melissa and I've been to several of her beer tastings. She's such a powerful force when she walks into the room and she's so engaging. You guys can probably tell from that interview. She's just done so much to help bring women into the world of beer and has been such a voice for equality over the years. So it's, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really inspiring to hear how she's been able to turn, you know, sometimes bad or negative experiences into something positive and felt like, well, I can do something about that and let me yeah. show you. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. On the one hand, we got like very much into the science of taste and beer um, on our chat, which was kind of really, really fascinating and not something I'd really thought about that much. So, you know, and she's incredibly knowledgeable. But then on the other hand, just kind of loved her attitude, how she just wanted to kind of prove people wrong. You know, someone said her palate was wrong and she just thought, stuff you, actually, <laughs> I'm going to become a successful beer sommelier and make it a thing. And she, she has done. She saw that recipe that just said, use some beer. And she thought, no, that's not good enough. You know, we yeah. need to be more specific about this. And so she writes a whole cookbook. She's, she's incredibly motivated. And I really liked her very inclusive attitude. And the world of beer is this brilliant world of discovery. So it shouldn't really shut anyone out. I think it feeds mm. in so much as well to that whole, oh, I just don't like beer. When I'm like, you just haven't tried a beer that you actually <laughs> like yet. There are so many types. But if you keep yeah. hearing that beer is this certain 
taste and if that's not the one you like then it really boxes you out of a whole range of wonderful drinks and also from Melissa's chat there's nothing stopping you from becoming a beer judge or a beer expert or learning more about your favorite drink at camera we've got those fantastic training events and opportunities and we usually run lots of tastings at our beer festivals while we're in lockdown we've got those virtual training sessions through the red online every Tuesday and we've got new learn and discover resources so this week we've got that part two to Mark Drudge's beer dictionary and a part two for Jane Finch's cider terminology available anyone can become a beer expert really love that I wonder if I could become a beer expert (laughs) maybe one day now you took part in a little bit of beer tasting last week didn't you Alzi I did. We are our cam. The camera staff were treated to a virtual away day, and the very lovely Christine Krein talked us through all the new style guidelines for um, cameras beer competitions. So they sent us a little pack of beer through the post, and we all <laughs> got on Zoom oh, at about one p.m. <laughs> and yeah, from about one p.m. we had about five beers, so <laughs> I was wow. pretty cheerful by five o'clock. Yeah, I bet you were. <laughs> but uh, listen, if any of you out there do want to do your own beer tasting session mm-hmm. we've got a little treat for you honest brew is offering podcast 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 <laughs> listeners 10 pounds off their first order by visiting honestbrew.co.uk forward slash camera 10 yeah, Honest Brew has hundreds of beers to choose from, including Siren, Tiny Rebel, Wiper and True, all of which can be delivered straight to your door. So if you check out their website, you can put together a variety case and who knows, maybe you'll be able to cook with a few of them as well. Mm, lovely. And if you do cook anything delicious or maybe even terrible, make sure to send us a picture on the Twitter feed of your creation. You'll find us at Pubs Pints People on Twitter. And unfortunately, there's an irony into, into what I'm about to tell you, our <laughs> listeners. We don't actually have a recipe from Sue to share with you this week. On the one episode where it's her bag, <laughs> she's not here. And that's for very good reason. It's because she's gone off on her own jolly holidays. Uh, but we do have another... Uh, hang on. Matt and Sue have gone on a holiday uh, at the same time. <laughs> Did Matt say uh, he had hired her for his personal I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to put two and two together here, folks. But is, is this what could have happened here? I'm sure Matt will share more when he's back. I'm going to ask him about that next week. But listen... And what we do have in lieu of Sue, in lieu of Sue, is another great interview with Runaway Brewery. So sit back, find something tasty, and enjoy Adam's interview with Mark from Runaway Brewery. Desert Island Beer. Mark, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. If you could just kick us off with your Desert Island Beer. It's always a difficult question, Desert Island Beer. Certainly from a beer and food perspective, I think the Belgians are ahead of the game, certainly in terms of the way they think about beer and food together. So it would probably be something Belgian, something like Taras Bulba from Brasserie de la Seine, which is, for, for Belgian beer at least, a session-strength pale ale, mm-hmm. essentially, inspired by British pale hoppy beer. And that one of the reasons I would go for a beer like that is because it goes w- well with so much food. I guess for a Belgian style, it's relatively well hopped, which is quite unusual. So I think probably, you know, classically things like cheese, it would go brilliantly well with. How much of that I would have available on my desert island, I um, I don't... I don't know. I suspect not very much. <laughs> um, but it goes really well with things like grilled fish, that sort of stuff. And I guess maybe to explore the other aspects of this question, do you have a favourite ever food and beer combination? I guess I'm, I'm going to be quite dull here and, and kind of stick with beer and cheese. Oh, whether I could pick a specific beer and a specific cheese, I think that would be futile. But, mm. you know, I guess if you're going to go 
down the classic route, something like a lambic, a Belgian lambic, or yes, with uh, with a mature Gouda or something like that. I'm sure would be would be on on the list. Equally, I guess something like our ESB or Fuller's ESB with a mature cheddar. That's a pretty good match as well. Imperial Stout with a with a strong blue cheese. So this is what I mean. You know, you've got so many different combinations that you can you can kind of delve into. So when you started Runaway Brewery, was this something that you had in mind, the potential to match beer and food? Because you've done quite a lot of collaborations with uh, various kind of food emporiums, haven't you? We have indeed. Yeah, I guess it was. It wasn't necessarily a part of the business plan as such, but I've always been into food in one way, shape or form. And obviously, I'm into beer as well. So it was a natural progression, I suppose, for me to explore that side of things and we ended up for whatever reason early on doing a lot of work with small indie restaurants Mm -hmm. and then over time slightly bigger not chains as such but people like Hawksmoor for example so Mm -hmm. slightly as far as Manchester's concerned certainly slightly higher end stuff where actually you're dealing with customers who understand the importance of provenance they understand the importance of perhaps matching a wine with with food that sort of side of things which I guess got my mind whirring. They used to work in with kind of spirits and cocktails and wines and that sort of stuff. Beer is an area where I don't think restaurants have had, in the past at least, so much experience and understanding and knowledge. So it started off with us supplying those restaurants with the beers that we'd already started to brew. So things like pale ales and IPAs, of course, because they're popular, but also the other two beers we launched with were an American brown ale and a smoked porter, which... I guess links back to what I was saying about how versatile beer is. And there were certain dishes that they, Hawksmoor in particular, were really, really keen to try and match our beers with. So, you know, big hefty steaks with smoked porter. They were kind of doing chicken, roast chicken poutine sandwiches and stuff, which went beautifully well with the uh, American brown ale. And so they actually asked us to brew a replacement a northern replacement, I suppose, for London Pride, which is something they put in a beer cocktail called Shaky Pete's Ginger Brew. So we ended up brewing a, an ESB for that. I didn't want to replace London Pride. I told them if they want to use London Pride, then use it. But hmm. we would design something specific to match those flavours to work well with the other ingredients in that cocktail, which are basically ginger syrup and lemon. And I sort of thought this, the kind of dried fruits that you might get from an ESB would work really well with that, and the sweet maltiness. So that was one of our kind of first collaborations with, I guess, food people. So when you brew a beer for one of these places, do you have a particular remit to work within? We're not exactly walking around the city kind of offering it as a service. It tends to be something that people approach us about. And then we will literally sit and throw some ideas around, usually over a couple of beers or and or some food. And it might be that it's a celebratory occasion. I mean, I've, I've actually written down a little list of some of the beer food collaborations we've done. And it really is a massive range of stuff. Some is very much inspired by sweets and cakes and that kind of stuff. And those opportunities came up through things like Manchester Beer Week. So a couple of beers we, we did through Manchester Beer Week was the Manchester Tart which is based on the post-war blowout of a pudding, which is basically pastry, custard, a little raspberry on the top, bit of raspberry jam and some um, coconut kind of sprinkles on it, I suppose, and a hefty dollop of cream on the top. So we kind of did, we actually did like a a Belgian wit style, I suppose, with raspberry, but also loads of vanilla 
uh, and then really biscuity malts. So you end up with something which is inspired by the food, but isn't like drinking a smoothie full of it if that makes sense another one that we did kind of similar to that was like a lemon drizzle cake inspired thing which we did with grub the street food people in manchester which is one of the most popular beers i think we've ever brewed from my perspective it was a fun endeavor to try out once whereas what we've ended up doing i guess a little bit more thanks partly to manchester beer week is working with chefs on beer which is specifically designed to be enjoyed with certain foods i guess the most well known is a german style goza which we brewed with a Japanese restaurant called Umizushi, who basically focused on sushi. They did other things too, but they, they asked us to come up with something to be drunk alongside sushi, which was a real challenge for us. Because traditionally, in beer terms, that would be a, a very weak lager, essentially, mm. is what is often drunk in Japan with that kind of food, if it's going to be beer that you're drinking it with. Obviously, traditionally, it would be sake, and that takes you down a whole other route but we're actually sat around the bar in the brewery eating some of the sushi they brought with them. In between sushi, they were encouraging us to, to taste the or have some pickled ginger, which is called Gary. And it occurred to us that actually rather than trying to come up with trying to find a style of beer or a process that we could replicate, why not come up with something which is based on the traditional accompaniments to that food? So that's where the idea of Gary Goza kind of came from, I suppose, which ended up being a beer as a result, which is brewed with uh, kombu seaweed, Taiwanese preserved plums, wild plums, proportion of sushi rice in the mash, and obviously root ginger, which is, you know, not not your standard selection of ingredients that you might put with beer. Yeah. Um, but the idea was to try and, yeah, create something which was palate cleansing and based on this condiment gary. Yeah, I must say, I remember your Pomodoro beer from a couple of years ago, and I still haven't decided if I like it or not. <laughs> absolutely fair yeah that that for the the benefit of those listening was exactly what it sounds like it was a tomato based beer <laughs> again it was a one-off celebratory thing we were approached by a local sourdough pizza producer called honest crust one of the, one of the best in the city i would say mm. they asked us to help them design a pizza for I think it was like a triannuary thing. So we, ha- we we kind of got involved in that. Sounded like fun. I mean, who doesn't like having their own pizza made on a commercial scale? That was great fun to do. Mm. But we decided on a white pizza, so one that doesn't have the tomato base to it. And as part of that discussion, we kind of got talking about the idea that we could produce a beer, which was pizza-inspired and almost replaced the fact that the tomato was missing. And, yeah, we got a little carried away, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> but there were a lot of people at the Manchester Beer Insider Festival that January that we were testing it out on. It was it became very popular beer that day, I think because people were really intrigued by it. And when it's something like using an unusual ingredient like tomatoes, how do you go about kind of figuring out how much of it you'll need? Trial and error. Don't put too much in. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, where do you start with tomato? I think from our perspective, what we did, we obviously got hold of some of the tomatoes we wanted to use, which Honest Crust helped us to source. And we started adding it in small amounts to existing beers we already had in the brewery. So we had a goza in the brewery, just a straight up and down goza. And I, and I kind of figured salt and tomato, that's going to go well together. We were opening bottles of that and then putting small amounts of tomato juice, essentially, that we'd or puree that we'd made from these tomatoes, just to try and get a feel for roughly how much we were going to have to add to make it work. Inevitably, once you start scaling that stuff up and putting, actually pouring... <laughs> kilos and kilos of tomato juice puree into your fermenting vessel 
you have to then start to rein it in a little bit. Mm. With that beer, we actually also added a little bit of chili and a bit of uh, fennel seed as well, mm. just to try and add a bit of complexity to it, I suppose. Because we didn't want the bitterness that, that I guess, comes with hops. We, we would have added some hops just for the preservative qualities, but with the, you want the tomato to kind of come through, I suppose. Mm. So, yeah, at our scale, we can afford to be a little bit bucket chemistry about it, mm. but it's not like, you know, there's a book somewhere in the world that tells you how to make tomato beer. Do you ever find that these kind of beers are slightly more divisive than your usual beers? Certainly when you try and describe that to somebody, yes. The best thing I've found with beer is to stop talking about it and just give some to somebody and say mm. try it and i'm yet to come across anyone who hasn't enjoyed that beer once they've got over the kind of weirdness of the idea some people are want to be experimental and try new things all the time and that's you know that's exciting but there are many of us who also quite like what we like we already know what we like we don't need to have all these funny things thrown at us <laughs> and i probably have one foot in each camp depending on how i'm feeling at any given time Desert Island Beer. Wow, some of those recipes sound amazing and others sound mm. a bit crazy, but they do <laughs> sort of make sense when you think about it, don't they? Like if you what you're eating them with. Gary goes beer with seaweed, plums, ginger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really want to taste that. It's just kind of firing up my taste buds just thinking about it. I like that their brews have become so tightly entwined with food. So like trying to actually brew a beer to match food rather than finding a beer to match it. So you're actually, you know, making it based upon that meal. And it's such an inventive selection of ingredients to make those flavors come out. It's just really creative. And I think also in terms of broadening the appeal of beer to many people, these new taste combinations can actually bring more people into beer. When I spoke to Melissa, she touched on this too, that we often go to wine when we think of a food accompaniment. But beer can be an incredibly diverse thing that can work with food too. I also love the mention of them making beer cocktails. I went to a really lovely beer and food pairing a few years ago, actually, at the Hicks in London. And they were serving up beer-based cocktails. And they were so nice. And they weren't too sweet or sugary, but they were really, really interesting. So, yeah, I I think we need more beer cocktails (gasps) in our lives. Oh, my (laughs) goodness. We could get our own podcast cocktail. That's my shout out for the week to the list. If you've got an idea for a beer-based cocktail to celebrate this show, get on Twitter and we'll try and make it for our next recording. I mean, how much fun would that be? <laughs> I'd like to say I'd really love to come back for that one, but what do you think the editing's are going to be like? Do you think they're going to be terrifying or delicious? Well, I, I mean, Stella, we've had all sorts on this show. Dan Veal just the other week <laughs> spoke about a breakfast stout with fried eggs in it, but uh, yeah, yeah. You, know, <laughs> you, you just never know. Well, on that note, I think it's time to dive into the archive. Now, Sue might not be with us this week, but she's here in spirit. We've got Sue from... She's with Matt Bundy as a sous chef. That's where she is. We've got got Sue from 1992. So we've got a nice feature from the archives instead. Sue had a column throughout 1992 called Good Pub Food in Watts Brewing. And we have in front of us the June 1992 edition of Watts Brewing. In it, she compared British and Belgian beers as she reviews what she says is the only Belgian eating place in the capital. Oh, now where could she be? She's at the Belgo, and uh, she described it as London's latest excursion into ethnic eating across the roundhouse from north, uh, in northwest London, rather. And it billed itself as a brewery eating hall, 
uh, but she says that the exterior bears uh, more than a passing resemblance to a slab of concrete. <laughs> harsh. <laughs> bit, bit harsh, too, isn't it? <laughs> in her article, the owner, Dennis Blaze, described the area in Camden as an up-and-coming area of London. She says, whereas other restaurants offered wine with food, the Belgos served beer from habit-clad waiters who can confidently advise diners on which of the 20 bottled beers best accompanies a kilo of mussels, a stomp. I think that's a kind of um, potato dish mashed up with vegetables as well, kind of like champ. I mean, pretty much um, which is, every yeah. recipe that Sue sends us, I'm like, the title of it, I'm like, what is that? Oh, stew. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Expert <Yeah>. cook here. <laughs> I, I absolutely well, love that she says here that the beer served from habit-clad waiters. Let's just think about that for a second. Yeah. Just like half the cast of Sister I'm, Act bringing your beer to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm presuming that's a reference to kind of those classic white and black smart uniforms of waiters, but um, I've got no idea. No, Apparently, no, Stella, it was, the, it was the cast of Sister Acts, that's what I'm saying. All right, it's, they're all dressed as nuns, that's fine. Um, so, so apparently 90% of customers there were drinking beer, even though wine is available. The beer had a separate menu of its own with descriptions. Bottles are brought to the table and served in stemmed goblets in Ooh, the style of nice. wine. I know that sometimes this is done today, but it's still not that popular. So, I mean, this is quite unusual and revolutionary in the early 90s, I guess. Mm. You definitely you've probably felt very luxurious. I mean, isn't it great that restaurants have thought to match and encourage beers with food for at least nearly 30 years? There is a sadness to this in that the Belgo in North London actually shut down just last year, but we are informed that they have three other locations in London and one of them's in Nottingham. So why don't you take your little voucher that Rishi's giving everybody and get out the house and go and enjoy <laughs> something? And on that note, I think it's time for Last Orders. Last orders. Right, both of you, what are we drinking today? Well, I managed to get myself a little order, a luxurious little order, actually, um, from Siren Brew Co., which is my one of my favourite brewers ever because I love their stout. What I had recently, which was very exciting, was like a Brute IPA, so champagne style, in one Ooh. of those 440 milliliter cans, and it was delicious. Everything I got from them was actually delicious. I'm a huge fan of Siren. Was it very fizzy, that Brute IPA? It's not more carbonated than others, but it had that just a very light refreshing kind of luxurious taste and feel to it so yeah Ooh, dancing on the tongue i'm jealous i'm exactly. jealous stella what about you well i've been bang on trend for this week because um last night i enjoyed a can of a beer called cherry berry pastry sour which is from brighton's unbarred brewery they've got loads of really interesting flavor combinations um they i mean they do kind of pale ales and, and other things and, and and more kind of traditional beer but they do some crazy things like mango pale ale, honeycomb milkshake honey beer, Ooh. and even a Kinder Bueno stout, which oh, I also tried, and it's yes. delicious. <laughs> it's really right. delicious. But, but the, the cherry beer, I mean, it's quite a hefty 7.2%, which mm. I think the Belgians would approve of. But it was, it was really interesting because it was really fruity. It's got cherries and blackberries in, but you can really smell and taste the vanilla as well and honey and kind of cinnamon as well. But it's not sweet. You've just got all of those flavours there, which is really interesting. And I, I didn't drink it with any food or anything, just on its own. It was kind of like a really interesting flavour mm. experience in itself. 
Yeah, it sounds like a meal in itself. It does sound like a meal itself. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah. I am all for that Kinder Bueno stout FYI. Oh, God, yeah. That can be sent through to me, <laughs> thank really you, please. Nice. Whilst uh, you and Matt go for the anti-fancy stuff, um, and Steph has not let us down this week, I've gone for something a bit more traditional but still absolutely wonderful, and I've gone for Hobgoblin Gold. I know that Sue mentioned Hobgoblin the other week on one mm. of our recipes, and I just think it's a great beer. I, it's something that I drink quite regularly when I go up to see my family in the north, which I'm going to actually be doing very soon, and my brother-in-law's love this stuff. It's a nice, easy drink, isn't it? Mm, it was one of the ones, actually, we did in our beer tasting for the camera staff last week, so, yeah, I've had Hobgoblin in the last week as well. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Stella, and for organising that interview with Melissa. We hope to have you back on the podcast soon. Thanks for having me. We're going to throw our listeners a bit of a curveball again here, because this time next week, Katie's going to be out of here. Please don't tell me you're <laughs> taking Sue with you as well. <laughs> I, I think I might be, actually. I'm not sure if she's around next week. I need to catch up with her. Um, but yeah, it feels really weird to step away from the podcast for a bit, but I realise I've not actually taken a holiday in about five months, so I'm going to head over to Pembrokeshire for a little self-catered beach holiday, um, literally on the day that the lockdown restrictions in Wales lift so i'm off well that's lovely i hope you have an absolutely amazing time and in katie's place next week we'll have adam taylor now those keen listeners will know who adam is he's another regular correspondent on the show and he's going to be joining myself and matt as we learn all about traditional versus experimental brewing by sitting down with aura brewery and get it timothy taylor are on the show as well (laughs) well don't break the podcast in my absence (laughs) (laughs) we'll try not to we'll try not to not a finish off the show Stella can you read out a quote that Matt has very kindly left for us this week of course this week we're going to end on a quote from the ultimate writer William Shakespeare he says in A Winter's Tale for a quart of ale is a dish for a king (laughs) brilliant you know what says it all cheers Billy boy cheers cheers Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
How does a free case of beer sound? Yes, you can grab a case for free, courtesy of our pals at Beer 52, by going to www.beer52.com forward slash people. That's the numbers 52 in the 52. And covering the meagre postage cost of £5.95. And what's more, as a special offer for our listeners, they'll throw in two extra beers for free. So that's 10 unique craft beers. Beer 52 is actually the biggest beer club in the world. Each month, they send their members a case of beer from a different part of the world, and this month it's an absolute belter. Their great European road trip case takes in the best beers from across the continent. So try a crisp, refreshing Pilsner from Norway's Lervig Brewery and a monster 7.5 double IPA from Sweden's Derges Brewery. On the dark side this month, there's a smooth stout from Copenhagen's Tool. There's also beer from Croatia... Poland, Germany, Serbia and Austria, among others. And if dark beer's not your thing, you can choose the light-only case. Also included is the ever-insightful Ferment magazine and a couple of tasty snacks. And even if, after all that, you're still unsatisfied, you can simply pause or cancel at any time. So head over to www.beer52, that's the numbers 5 and 2, dot com forward slash people to claim your free case of 10 beers now.